Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. Hello there and welcome to Spark of Rebellion. This is your weekly Star Wars podcast, bringing you everything from a galaxy far, far away. My name's Gary, one of your co-hosts for this week. It's been an awesome week throughout Star Wars. We've had an awesome wrap-up to The Mandalorian Season 2 and fandom has just lost its mind. If you've been on Twitter or Reddit or Instagram, any of those things, it's been such a great week uh, to be a Star Wars fan. Joining me, as always, in The Falcon is my co-pilot, my co-host. Uh, it is Mr. Mark Asquith. He's got his helmet off today. So how you doing, buddy? Sounds weird, that. Well, I didn't want to push too far into that. You brought it up, so... Thanks for making it weird, though. Yep. Yep. It's in a similar way to the Mando, you do keep the, the beard and the moustache, mm. which is interesting. Well, yeah. you never know, do you? You never know when your creed's going to develop in, in, in such a way that you become a little bit more relaxed with it due to the arrival of a, a loving child in your life. So it's, it's like my mum always taught me. Just in case you need to change your creed, keep a moustache. Thanks, Mum. Good advice. Good advice to live by. Mm. I say. Yeah. I say, well, they all say now we've seen Mandalorian. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's the way to do it. Mm. Um, a couple of things. Number one, watch the old Star Wars Lego Disney holiday Christmas special, didn't they? Oh, what's that? Oh, dude, I missed that. What's it like? It's hilarious. <laughs> it's like... And this is kind of what I'm liking about Star Wars at the minute. It's like they've just... Do you know what it's like, right? It's like in the sequel trilogy, they were like that cool teenager that couldn't show any kind of emotion and like because it was too cool. They were too cool to do anything. Like They were super serious. And now, like I'm just watching the Lego thing and the Mando and some of the other stuff they've put out, it's like they're now 26, 27, and they're like, yeah, I can take the mick out of myself a little bit. And uh, it's like if I take the mick out of myself, doesn't show weakness. So, like, the Lego, this this holiday special from Lego and Disney is just a total wind-up. <laughs> like, it, all the stuff that you think, that's ridiculous in Star Wars, that's ridiculous in Star Wars, that's ridiculous. They're just like, they go straight at it, and they just make a joke of it, and they're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, everything from, like, Finn being a Jedi and all that stuff, they just completely <laughs> take the mick out of it, mate. Um, and it just, it's just, but it's just amazing. Like you need to watch it. It's just sit there with some popcorn and have a good old laugh. It's just so much fun, dude. Yeah, it's cool. I like that they've handed Lego a little bit of uh, a creative license around the themes of Star Wars. They do take the piss a little bit, don't they? But it is, it's very Big cool. time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when that first dropped, I was like, oh, that looks really good. Well, I say it looks really good, it looks really funny. I have to check that out, but... I missed it, so it's on the list to watch when I when I break up from school holidays next week. I'm going to watch it over Crimbo, which is going to be good. I yeah, say school holidays, but, you know, I'm not at school. It's you know, well, but, you know, well, you're not, but it's the holidays. <laughs> exactly, it's the holiday season, upcoming. Yeah, 
Speaking of which, this is our last episode, isn't it, for the uh, for the two K, two K, two K, two K twenty. Yeah, this is, is a wrap. This is a wrap for for this year, and it feels good. Not because I'm not going to have to have to speak to you for a couple of weeks. Not because of that, <laughs> but it feels good that we have, in some miracle, we've we've podcast every single week throughout the entire year, which is which is good. I'm proud of that, dude. Yeah, me too, man. It's and it's not like it's not hard either, is it? Like I know we've had the times off, like when I've been moving and you've been out doing your thing, and like where we've done like a lot of solo stuff or through travel and stuff like that. But it's not like it's never difficult to talk about Star Wars, is it? Even if you just have to do an episode where you just reflect on something that you enjoy about it, it's very fortunate to um, to to be able to talk about it. Like this is not to link work to it, but we're we're doing a new launch, like how to launch a podcast course at, at work. Um, and like the first thing that I wrote in it, like we did this Venn diagram of like what you, because people say, what the hell should you talk about? And it's just talk about something that you love so that it never feels like a job. And then you can probably monetize it later if you want to, because you build your, like you're going to have to build an audience, whether you talk about something you hate or whether you love something. So you may as well talk about something you love. And this is like a prime example. Just we've never not had anything to talk about, even when it's been a, let me tell you about my experience with Empire. You know what I mean? That's not a bad thing at all. That what a, what a, what a thing to be able to do. Yeah, no, I agree, man. We're very lucky to, um, to be able to just get together and chat Star Wars. Cause we, we, we're doing that anyway, to a degree, just not as often. So it's great to, uh, to yeah, to, to link up and talk Star Wars. There could be worse things, like you said. We could be talking about things that we hate, such as Wernham Hog closing down, yeah, oh. which I hate. So, I, uh, well, I said it first, but yeah, credit other comedians. Yeah. So this is going to be the wrap up to 2020. Let, uh, before we crack on, dude, I uh, just want to say a big thanks to your good self, because as you just said, it's not. There are worse things we could be doing, and it's not hard to meet up and talk Star Wars, but we could have just been lazy about it. Like, we podcasted years ago, as our listeners will know about some other DC stuff, and uh, life got in the way a little bit. We had to stick a pin in that, and then literally it was like, dude, we should we should do a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> and then a week later, we were doing a Star Wars podcast, so <laughs> it was really cool. You know so cheers, dude. <laughs> no, thank you, man. And it's I think that's one of the benefits of being like how we are though. Like you're you're like ultimate design guy and I work in podcasting. Like the the fact that we can spin it up at reasonably little cost, that's a very fortunate position. Like you do badass design work for it. We can use Captivate the platform, you know, at no cost. You know, think back to like twenty thirteen, it was like oh we need, yeah, merge. It was like, oh, we need to go on one of these hosts and sort the WordPress site out and stuff. And we just didn't need any of that stuff. So it was, yeah, it's interesting. I was talking about this with Kieran. I'll not say too much about it because obviously that will that'll blow the cover for later. But um, who would have thought back in 2013, some of the stuff we're going to announce together in 2021 will, would have come around? Like what an insane thing. I know we'll probably talk about that more when it comes around, but um like what? That's been a, such a weird journey. Do you know what I mean? It's like we should talk about DC, and then suddenly fast forward eight years, you're like, "Holy crap, what's going on here?" So we'll, I know we'll talk about that separately, but just reflecting on it, it's weird, dude. It is weird, and it's very cool. Yeah, we got an exciting 2021, which is all we're going to say on that. And then another big thank you, huge thank you to our patrons, the guys that have supported the show throughout the year and uh, have very, very kindly parted with a few bucks each month to um, to keep the lights on. 
um, which is very, very much appreciated. So uh, considering the kind of year that 2020 has been, you guys didn't have to do that. We appreciate there's a lot more going on in life and stuff. So yeah, a massive thank you to our to our patrons throughout the year who have uh, who have kept us going. And then also, just lastly, to you, the listener of the show. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you subscribe um, uh, on whatever podcast app you listen to, you've popped a, a sub on there, or if you listen to us over on the website, or you've just, it doesn't matter if you've listened to every single show, or if this week this is your first time listening to us, it's all very much appreciated. Love love having you guys uh, listen to us waffle each and every week about Star Wars. So massive thank you to our listeners, of course. Now, before we get on to our main um uh, theme for this week, which is obviously our continued reviews of the Mando as we wrap up season two, uh, dude, another another shitter to start on. But yeah, um, let's talk about it. So Jeremy Bullock, uh, the original, the OG Boba Fett, uh, sadly leaves us and has passed on uh, to the netherworld of the Force. So yeah, Jeremy Bullock passed away recently at age seventy five, and uh, uh, a bit like David Prowse in some respects, dude. Um, obviously, didn't see his face. Um, in the in the movies, but for for decades afterwards, just a, a real co- a constant, um, just constantly there on the convention scene and talking to fans all the time, and just embraced his very uh, very cool faceless character, I guess, in a similar way that David Prowse did. Uh, so yeah, we say goodbye to uh, to Jeremy Bullock. Sad times, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I spotted this uh, as I'm sure you did on social this week, um, and yeah. Like you said, R.I.P. Jeremy Bullock. But at the same time, um, what a time for for um, for his character. You know, what a time for Boba Fett to, to to come back into the spotlight. And I'm sure that that he and his family would have been very proud of that um, and, and seeing the legacy that it's created. So, what a, what a way to have an impact, man. You know, sadly, like you said, Jeremy and, and, and David Prowse leaving. It's the only thing you want in life, really, is to, is to leave something that people remember. And like, but you know, for those two guys, what a way to do it. Um, so yeah, just thanks to both of those people for bringing the legacy. You know, that's what we're here for. That's why we can do what we do, dude. Exactly that, yeah. And their legacy will absolutely live on. And uh, you, you bang on with that, dude. I'm, I'm hoping that he and his family look at what they're doing with uh, with Boba Fett coming back on Disney Plus and thinking, yeah, that was that was me or that was our dad that that kicked that all off. So yeah, that's very cool to remember, like the awesome legacy that they left behind. So there we go. Um, right before we get onto the Mando, dude. Um, our listeners who are listening right now, remember to subscribe to the show. If you've listened to a couple, if this is your first one, get over there and subscribe on whatever whatever podcast app you uh, listen to your podcasts on. We're on all the usual stuffs. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that lot. Uh, go and give us a sub over there. We'd love to have you uh, listening to show every week. It lands every Saturday. And we're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, just do a search for Spark of Rebellion. You'll find us on there. We chat Star Wars throughout the week. And if you like the show and want to join our other patrons, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash Spark of Rebellion. You can jump on from a from a, a dollar upwards, get yourself some SOR swag, get your decal sticker, and uh, display that proudly wherever you would like. Your fridge in the kitchen, your laptop, or your car. I'll leave that up to you. There's no instructions for that one. Um, and uh, like I said earlier, a big thank you to our current patrons who have supported us. So, The Mando Dude, Chapter 16, The Rescue, as we wrap up Season 2. Uh, this was probably... Actually, before we, actually, I'll do a quick recap. So, they know exactly where Gideon is. They've got the coordinates to his ship. Uh, they're about to 
jump on board, rescue the kid, and get the heck out of the area. However, it doesn't go quite to plan, as we knew it wouldn't. And the Mando and Boba turn up to get the help from our Mandalorian friends that we saw earlier on in the series. So they go and get Bo-Katan and Koska, and they're like, right, we need to go and get the kid. <laughs> Initially, they're like, no, 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 we're not feeling it this week. Go and do it yourself. Then they let him, you know, they let Bo-Katan know that Gideon's there with a the dark saber. All of a sudden, she's like, all right, we'll do it. Then they go off. Boba Fett's there, helping out, obviously. And uh, they jump on the ship, and they realise that, yep, the child is there with Gideon. However, uh, they need to get through a garrison of stormtroopers. Plus, there's some dark troopers knocking around. And uh, it's a bit of a timing game. They need to get to the bridge, get it all done before those guys boot up. Bit of a Windows 95 situation, if I'm honest. And then once all that happens, we get the big finale, which we'll come on to, which absolutely blew everyone's minds, ours included, probably. So that was uh, that was the last episode. So a quick, a quick 10-second review before we kick into the details, dude. So even outside of the last, what, six, seven, eight minutes, um, even before that, even before the post-credits, before any of that stuff kicked off, which we'll get to because that was like pant wet and shit, even before any of that stuff, this was by far the best Star Wars that I've seen for probably since, probably since Obi-Wan and Anakin on Mustafar. Probably since Vader in Rogue One, but in terms of a complete body of work, you know, in terms of one movie, this was probably the best Star Wars for me since Return of the Jedi, if not Empire, before, before, even before the big, the big ass finale. Um, it was just exceptional, right from the out, dude, from just from the second it came on, and we'll get into the detail of it, but... That's not even counting the stuff at the end. It, I thought it was fantastic, dude. Really ex- exceptionally well done. Yeah, I'm with you on that, buddy. It was like the most Star Warsy thing since the best Star Wars thing before this. In your opinion, you say in Return of the Jedi, maybe Empire. I kind of feel the same, man. It's like Filoni and Favreau were like, right, we, we really need to channel some some OG proper, I say proper, quote unquote proper Star Wars, and which they have done. I mean, there's been a few episodes throughout this season, especially. I didn't really feel it as much in season one, although it was obviously, you know, it, it was Star Warsy in places. But season two, there's been three or four episodes that have just felt like mega proper Star Wars. And this one, I think, takes the crown. It's like everything throughout this episode was, yeah, it, it just felt like we were watching a, a, a film from the OT era. It just felt like that awesome. Uh, but it also had a bit of a modern touch to it, obviously, like the filmmaking techniques and the clarity in the picture and stuff. So it, it's weird. It's like that juxtaposition, juxtaposition records of you've got that older vibe going on. It feels very Lucasy, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, man, these dudes with the technology and stuff, it, yeah, it's, it's a great mix. And, um, and, uh, one thing I want to kick off with them is there are a couple of episodes pre- prior in the season where about halfway through I reached for my phone. Not because I was necessarily bored, but um, like the pacing and stuff and the way it was edited was like, okay, I'm just going to send this real quick tweet 
while I remember or need to text the missus, you know, pick up some milk on your way home. Just real quick stuff like that. In this episode, dude, no way. It was like glued, glued to it from start to finish, man. Yeah, I, I agree, dude. I'm the same. And I think that's testament to how... Well, two things. Number one, like Filoni and Favreau and everyone else involved with this. I mean, they get the credit for it, but, you know, everyone involved in this. It's finally, finally, the fans making the stuff. It's like the kids have grown up and become the boss. And they can do what the hell they want. And they've got the license. And that is now what we're seeing. You know, it's like you're used to, very often, you're used to... um, like the promise of stuff. So you're used to like the teasers in like the CW shows, anything DC related, even the Marvel stuff to a degree, you're sort of used to a tease. And I think Marvel a little bit less so, certainly if some of the rumors around Spidey 3 are true. Um, but you're used to like not having a payoff. You're used to it being, a, ah, we can kind of imply that Hal Jordan is the guy sat at the bar, but we can't really do anything other than show you a name tag. Like that's just all we've got. Um, so... This is just like Dave Filoni and Favreau and the rest of the team have just gone, right, we want it all. We want every piece of it. And Disney have just gone, yep, all right, you know what you're doing. So everything is, like, I know we've critiqued it to a degree, and I know we've sort of spotted a few things where we're like, well, you know, not sure about that, but it's almost not worth even predicting anything anymore with this because they just have such a creative license. So it gives you the entire fulfillment that you never thought you'd get because we are always used to the punches being pulled. We're always used to The Last Jedi giving us a bit of a wiped out Luke Skywalker, which I didn't mind that characterization to a degree. And the last time I felt like this was when Luke was walking out to face Kylo Ren, I was like, it's going to throw down. And then it never quite throws down. And so you're always used to that. Ah, oh, we've just, it was so close. No, not with this. And then I think the second thing, like you said, sort of regarding the phone and the pacing, what I loved about this episode was that they were just like, there's the slave one, there's Boba Fett. He's chasing the Lambda shuttle. That's got Pershing on it. Who gives a crap about how they found him? Who cares why they found him? They've just found him. And Boba Fett is hunting that mofo. And it looks outstanding. And so just the the way that they paced this episode, it was clear from the outset that they were they were not holding anything back. Um and I thought that was badass. And it was quite interesting when Boba bounced out and he jumped into hyperspace. Because I was like, actually, narratively, that's quite cool. They've done a good job of that. And then Later on, you're like, fucking hell, good job he wasn't there. Do you know what I mean? Imagine that. <laughs> That'd have kicked off again, wouldn't it? Like, oh. what are you doing here? Yeah, exactly. Not because <laughs> he's got the armor on, just because they're glad to see him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was just, everything was well thought out. So, dude, you nailed it. Like, it was end-to-end, just bulletproof, keep your attention. Yeah, definitely, man. And you talk about the pacing. There was a couple of scenes that were that were just out of Lucas's handbook which I think is Filoni's influence. Like there was a scene where they were, um, the slave one just lands. This is where they go off to, at the beginning to talk to Bogotan and stuff. And there's just a scene where it's like five, six seconds. It's just the camera's doing nothing, but you can just hear the sounds of the planet they're on and like the odd ship taken off in the background, which is like Mose Eisley stuff from A New Hope and stuff like that. It's like those little bits 
it yeah, it's just like right. Has anyone got George Lucas's notebook hanging around? We need to do this little bit here, and I think that's Filoni. But dude, if there was ever an ever a reason now to get Filoni and probably Favreau involved in feature films for Star Wars, this has surely got to be it, man. It's like if you if you've watched especially this finale, people like Kathleen Kennedy and whoever else at Disney surely now they're like, right, we need to get these guys. Even if they're not going to be like directing or producing the main film, they have to be involved. Defo. Exactly. And like, it's not like it's an unproven team. You've got Dave Filoni, who's probably created more Star Wars content than actual George Lucas at this point. Um, and you've got John Favreau, who kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, it's, it's, they're not two unproven people. Do you know what I mean? You've you got to imagine Disney are like, right, made a bit of a mess of that one. And I know we'll get to it later, but I, I understand why JJ struggled with keeping Luke out of Force Awakens. Um, I, I understand that based on what's happened recently. And obviously, spoilers abound, so if you've not watched it, you shouldn't be listening to this. Go away. Um, come back later, because we are going to get deep into it. But, like, I do understand the problem that JJ had with it. But surely, yeah, like you said, this is like the biggest pitch. It's almost like they've just put 100 million into pitching. You know what I mean? It's like, well, we will do a bit of spec work, Kathleen. We'll create you the Mandalorian, and then we want a feature film. Um, and yeah, I mean, dude, there's so much to talk about in this episode. And like, I don't even know where to start. I honestly don't know where to start. There's just that much good. The notes that I've got are just like top to bottom, the longest notes I've had all season. Yeah, same. Yeah, well, let's kick off with the the scene that really sort of gets the story going then, because we had that really cool little fight scene, didn't we, with Boba Fett and Koska in the when they had like a little bit of a tiff um, and some great bants there as well. It wasn't just the action uh, throwing down; it was uh, had a bit of bants as well, a bit of passive aggressive bants, which was really good. Um, but right from the off, though, we didn't wait. There wasn't; they didn't build the episode up, and then we had the big shootout or the big battle that we were expecting at the end. It was like right within eight minutes of the episode start, and it was like boom, these guys are on it. Little good little fight scene. Yeah. Well, I think that's what they've done a lot of the time in uh, in the Mando this season. Is some of the stuff that we've like we've said the filler episodes, like it's annoying because they are filler episodes, but yet they're really desperately good Star Wars. And you're like, <clears throat> damn. And I think a lot of the pacing, we've said it a couple of times this season, where they get the what we think is going to be the climax out of the way early and then give us something else for the last 10 minutes. Um, and they did it again. And dude, that, that fight scene in the cantina, in the pub, was just brilliant. Like, you got Bo-Katan sassing Boba Fett, because they've got history. Like, they, you know, you, we know that from Clone Wars and Rebels. They know of each other. And especially with Ahsoka and some of the stuff of, of, of a younger Boba Fett. Like, all that sass of you're not a Mandalorian, even though we know that his dad was a foundling, like like the Mandalorian himself is, even then Bo-Katan is sassing him, and he's like, never claimed to be. Like, so you've kind of, you've still got all this grey area where it's like, okay, they accept that Django was a foundling, but this guy's a clone. Then they brought the Clone Wars stuff in, like, I've seen a thousand of these, and you're just like, finally, all exists together in one universe. Finally, it feels connected. It, I don't have to rely on a book to tell me that it's connected. And then that fight scene, like, the choreography and the, the choreography in that is, like, who the hell is doing this? Like, they need a pay rise. When they just, you got, um, I forget his name, Costa, Costa, Costa? Costa. Costa. And then Boba, when they flip each other over and both flamethrower each other, you're just like, what are you doing? This is a TV show. 
What? How is this that good? Crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. And that was what was cool about that opening thing. You were like, okay, this is this is how this episode's going to go. It's going to be out and out, just badass from from the first ten minutes in. And I really like the sass as well when they. Like, oh yeah, I've heard your voice a thousand, like from a thousand different. Like they just that was a that cut deep. That one cut deep of you know just calling him a clone when he's you know. So that was a you cut me deep, trip cut me real deep and then that, and that was it they were into it so that was also and then, uh, so that was that really opening everything yeah <laughs> and so that was all that like but then they kind of bury the hatchet pretty and that that's a testament to the uh the main character really because all of those guys just put all that to, to one side they've each got their little agendas going on sure they've got the bo-katan really wants the dark saber which come on to at the end and Koska's just doing what she's told. You've got Boba Fett who's got his own agenda, again, which we'll come on to at the very end. But essentially it's like, right, you know, Boba Fett's like, I need to help you get the child. You know, I said I would do that. You know, that's all good. Bo-Katan's like, yeah, I'll help you, blah, blah, blah. And the main character, so Mando, he's just like, I don't give a flying frick about what any of you guys want. I just want the kid back. And when he when he puts it like that, he's like, you can have what you want. I just, you know, they're all like, all right, cool, he means business. And then, bosh, we're off. And then we got that hijack scene where they're after um, uh, the scientist dude, uh, Persian, and then, like, he folds quick, dude. You can I tell that. just going to say that. <laughs> he's, he, he's definitely not got any of that imperial uh, sort of backbone, has he? He's just like, right, I've been captured, and here's all the information that you need to successfully complete your mission. See you later, bye. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely like the scientist, isn't he? He's like, this is not in my job description. Like, you want to pay me to clone for you, I'll clone for you. The imp- imps p- pay me, I'll clone for them. I don't give a crap. Like, I'm in prison now anyway. Like, Kara's got me. I'm done. So <clears throat> that that scene was very, very interesting as well. That, Like, that Imperial pilot, that officer, he was a mother, man. And he was, he was dirty and I really liked it. I was like, yes, finally we're getting to see this kind of, because I think this is what we talked about last week, that blurring the lines. Like he was, you know, he was sassing Kara with the tear and the Alderaan and like saying that we'd quashed all the terrorism on Alderaan and you're like, holy crap, like there's no reason to even go here. There's no, That scene did not have to be in. It could have been Mando shoots him in the head. We get Pershing, <clears throat> but, she, but he didn't. And and that that attention to detail, that layering for the Star Wars fans, and that 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 positioning of of, of the storyline, none of that needed to be done to keep this a brilliant Star Wars episode. But they did it, and I think that's what really sets this apart from a lot of other stuff that's being done. Like especially like the Rise of Skywalker and Last Jedi, even Force Awakens. You know, Force Awakens arguably gets a, a bit of a pass because it was it had to toe the line of getting things restarted whilst respecting what came before it. But, you know, a lot of the later stuff was very beholden to the Skywalker saga and kind of got rid of the, the nuance and the detail. It was just like, Kylo Ren was like, no, there is no good and evil. We just got to get rid of it. And Ray's like, no, 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 there is good and evil. That all those 60s and 70s tropes still exist. We ain't moving on from that. And this is just like, well, you guys are terrorists. We blew you up because of that. Um, and then she sasses him back. She's like, oh, which Death Star were you on? Burn. there's just no need to do that but it works and it just adds so much depth dude yeah and I think we needed a bit of 
like we had a few episodes ago with Kara and being made martial and stuff like that, we had a, a tiny little um, uh, inkling into her history around Alderaan and all that stuff. So I think those little moments, especially with Kara, are needed because otherwise she just becomes a bit of a mercenary, not really having much to do in terms of character stuff. So it was good for her character, a little bit of progression there. You can see it's still it's still a thing that's that, that's burning her up inside. You know, she, it, I don't think that ever goes away, but she buries it a lot of the time and just gets on with it. And then this dude... Very sassy, man. This episode had a lot of sass in it. I'll be honest, it had a lot, even a bit of Gideon at the end. He sasses around a little bit. So <laughs> there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, deep cuts knocking around, but that was cool. First cut yeah. is the deepest. Bang. Shot in the face. There we go. It was a good shot as well. That was dangerous, man. That was, was wasn't risky. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there's, they've done that in plenty of films like lethal weapon and all that lot, you know, when someone's got a headlock and he's like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. He's like, don't worry about me, shoot him. It wasn't quite like that. But anyway, like the, the shot in the face, like she has to be a little wicked shot. It's a good job that a stormtrooper wasn't taking that shot. Let's, <laughs> let's just be honest there. But yeah, that was a, w- a wicked scene. Anyway, um, Pershing, he's off. I don't know if we're going to see him again, to be honest, probably not. Now that he's got his ass whoops and he's off. And then it's pretty much from that point on, it's pretty much just, it's just all out action. They've got like a little plan together. They do like the little A-team bit where they're like, right, we're going to do this. This is the plan. We're going to go through the ship. You're going to go that way. We're going to go that way. We're going to reconvene on the bridge and then boom, blow out of there. Which obviously is not going to go to plan, but that's a little A-team bit. And then when they land on Gideon's cruiser, that whole scene was badass in itself where they've got the Imperial shuttle, they're being chased by Slave One, they're setting up the whole scene. It's like, yeah, we're we're under attack, we're under attack, this dude's kicking our ass. And the way that they just steam through, like as the TIE fighters are coming out the other way, they just steam through, crash land, and then Boba does one. Yeah, that was badass, that bit. And also, we got the Thunderbird 2 thing from last week I mentioned. It was like, that's how the TIE fighters are deployed. That's pretty freaking sweet. And then suddenly <laughs> you feel like you're on the Nemesis Hall and Tower's getting thrust out of this light cruiser. Um, and again, ju- it's stuff they don't need to do. Like, they could easily have just thrown them into a landing bay. There was no reason to do any of that, except for it's just really freaking good. Like, the TIE fighters played no part in it later. The hangar didn't really play any part in it later because whenever we saw the hangar later, it was the other one that the the, the, the dark troopers went out of. Um, just no reason to do it. But it's like someone went, we need a million quid to do this scene. And they've gone, yep, signed off. And it's just, again, like the quality of this makes it so annoying what they did with the movies. And I know it's, we don't want to keep harping on about it, but dude, you know when you... It's like when Tiger Woods came back, right? A lot of people are like, this kid's lost it. He's not got it anymore. He's not got it anymore. We'll let him off. He's not got it. This is the best we're going to get. And then boom, he wins the mass and everyone's like, oh, shite. He can do it. (laughs) And this is what this is like. It's just, well, maybe this is the movies of the best Star Wars we're going to get. Like, maybe that's all they've got. Maybe the stories are told. Maybe the management team is only going to let that happen. And then boom. Dave Filoni and Favreau win the Masters with a Mandalorian, and you're like, crap, that then makes the last five years worse. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if we know you can do it now. Yeah, it's a bit frustrating, isn't it? 
It is. Anyway, that it, was a sweet scene. It was a cracking round of golf as well. Really to was, come back it? and win the Masters, yeah. I was in tears. I was in tears. I was like, come on, son. Come on. Yeah. And he did. I wrote him off. But then again, you know, what's he done then since? Why did, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? I love Eddie Murphy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Tiger, come on, man. Come back. You won the Masters. Now what? What's going on? That can't be your only thing you're going to do since coming. Since your yeah, you re- re-emergence major, as, you know, the king. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave that to McElroy. Not. No, big time not. Anyway, what are big we going with not. this? This is amazing. Anyway. Welcome to the golf show. Yay. <laughs> so yeah, that whole scene was badass. And you're absolutely right as well. It's like you guys, when you get the right people involved... And you spend a wee but Actually, no, that's not true to say because the movies had an insane budget. I was going to say a wee bit of money. But when you get the right people involved, you can make Star Wars just be the best thing on TV at that point in the world. No argument. And uh, it's not just like pew, pew, pew and special effects all that lot. Those things were done for, an, for a very good reason. Like you said, they spent a million quid probably on those visual effects, how showing how the TIE Fighters came out and stuff and that whole space battle thing probably more than a million bucks but it was needed because you can't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden they're on board even if you you, i think they do that in tv sometimes where it's just like okay we'll leave it up to you guys to imagine how they got there you know we're just you know but they visually show that whole action sequence and crash landing and stuff and it was a bit like it's a bit like when the millennium falcon goes gets uh, in the tractor beam gets uh, taken into the death star you know, the thing opens, there's loads of stormtroopers around, and then at some point, boom, like this big shootout in the hangar. It has like shades of, and there was a couple of scenes later on, which we'll come on to, which had shades of of other scenes from Star Wars. But this felt very, like just seeing that Imperial shuttle, the old school one, in the big hangar bay, all the shiny surfaces and stuff, it just had shades of, of A New Hope and Empire and stuff. So uh, it was just awesome, dude. Awesome to see that. And then that whole sequence of events leading up to the meeting between the Mando and Gideon. That was great Star Wars as well. That was really good because we could have just had just corridors action there. We could have just had weaving between corridors like we've seen in previous episodes, but it wasn't. We had, there was some of that, but we had like big open spaces moving through warehouse loading bays and all that stuff. And just the way that they took them out, it's almost like they had a little smile on their face. You could see it on Cara Dune's face and on Fennec's face. Almost like they had this little grin and a little wink to each other. Like they take a few out, bosh, bosh, bosh. And there was that really cool bit where uh, Bo-Katan and Kosa like go off somewhere and then they get surrounded on the bridge and then they come back up with the jetpacks and like take them out. It was like proper stylized, brilliant action stuff, dude. And I think that is also another reason, not just Filoni and Favreau, but Peyton Reed, the the direction was like just awesome in like every respect. So I would say, you know, that's another excuse for someone else to be involved in, in Star Wars down the line as well. Yeah. Big time. I mean, Peyton Reed gets four marks on this one. Cause I mean, for someone of Peyton Reed's talent and, and, and pedigree and, and CV, you know, the resume is not a bad one. Um, and it, it plays into, into this style already. Um, 
And, I mean, just seeing Bo-Katan come out of the, the Lambda shuttle, it was just, it was straight out of Rebels. It was straight out of Clone Wars. And I'm so impressed with how they've managed to keep that stylization going. Um, and what I love about this is, like, Sam noted it. She was just like, look, there's, this is like girl power, man. But it's not overt. It's not like in Endgame where it's like, oh, look, there's a shot of all the women. Like, we know that there's underrepresentation. We know that that needs to take place. We know all of that needs to exist. But in order to respect that, you don't have to you don't have to advertise it, you know? Because I think by advertising it sometimes that demeans the respect that it requires because it's like, oh no, we rather than just having a lot of badassery from these four badass women characters, we're advertising it and just saying, look, the, you, they can even do this because they are women. So when you start to do that, it becomes it becomes demeaning, it becomes disrespectful. And what I love about this episode of Mando is it was like it didn't matter. No one noticed. It was just like, these are four badass characters. It doesn't matter what gender they are. But it just so happened there were these four strong women characters that were leading the charge. And they're all individually really nicely done characters. And I thought that was a really nice touch for Star Wars to actually finally start to do something right with that rather than kind of Rey, who got a little bit Mary Sue, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the fandom, certainly it appears that she gets that whole rap of being a bit of a Mary Sue. Um, and... There's a lot in there that I think sets Star Wars onto a bit of a better path with that representation. Um, and I hope that that has come from some of the dialogue between John Boyega. Um, I hope that's come, th you know, I hope that's starting to filter through and start to be addressed a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, that entire scene was brilliant. As soon as they jumped off the bridge, the two Mandalorians, you were just like, yeah, this is sweet as we know what's going on there. They're just they're just underneath somewhere with a little jetpacks on. Um, and just just very quickly done. You know, there was no there was no fat on, on the bones of this one. It was all very lean, high quality action. Get to the point, make it look brilliant, choreograph it fantastically, and then let's get to the target so we can progress the story. Um, where I think it would have been easy to risk it being, here's a big fight scene for the sake of it that doesn't do anything, just because it looks good. So they really, I think they really well balanced that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it it all worked really well in terms of the other threads that were running through at that point, because they'd already established before they landed that they've, they're on like a limited time window because the dark troopers are, need to, as stupid as it sounds, they need to boot up um, before they can get rocking and rolling so there's also a little bit of haste involved as well like the way they're moving through the corridors and the um the warehouse and stuff they're like boom 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 taking people out boom 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 and it works really well because on the other side of the coin you've got mando who's on his own and he's doing like the more covert it's a bit james bondy kind of thing he's um you know he's sort of slinking around and trying not to be seen and it was really cool when he when he ran into that area where the dark troopers were, because I, I honestly thought that he was not going to be involved in that bit. I thought that uh, the, the four lasses were going to have a big showdown with the dark troopers because they kind of set it up before. They were like, yeah, these guys are going to be a bit of a handful. I think Cara Dune says that on their way to the to Gideon's um, uh, cruiser. Uh, but that, yeah, so that it was really cool to go between one and the other. So you had like the action scenes that they were going through, taking all the stormtroopers out. Then it would flick to Mando and it was all really quiet more covert, he's knocking around. And then it goes back to the action scenes and stuff. So you think, right, where are these two going to meet up at some point? Because uh, we didn't know that they were going to converge uh, towards the end, really. We didn't know if 
Mando was going to be successful in his bit. We didn't know if those guys were going to be, one of them was going to be killed or whatever. So that was really cool having that um, sort of question and answer bit of filmmaking, I suppose. Um, but the the Mando scenes as he's knocking around and the Dark Trooper, I mean, what a, what a scrap that was with one of the Dark Troopers. I mean... They look a bit clunky in one in one hand, like the way they walk and stuff like that. But then I thought, we you know, this is absolutely on purpose. Like the the quality of all the droids and everything throughout the Mando has been bang on. So this clunkiness, I think, is just to visually just remind people that there are no humans involved in these things. These are machines. These are robots, uh, like Terminator, endoskeleton kind of thing. So uh, what a badass scrap they did. That entire Dark Trooper thing was handled exceptionally well. Everything from him running up and seeing the door open and going, no, 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 and trying to stop it, you know, just... Because for him, you've almost got this Sarah Connor trauma. Like I wrote down, these guys are Terminators. They are T-800s crossed with Cylons. And it all felt a bit Battlestar Galactica anyway, all that stuff. Like the even the face and the design of the face is a little bit Cylon. Um but when you know you got to think this this is a guy that was just a, before death watch came and rescued him was just about to get his head blown off as a kid by a droid that didn't look too dissimilar to that so you know he's got a bit of trauma with these things you've got to think he's got a bit of ptsd with these things so for that to happen and then for it to be addressed later with with moth moth gideon where you know he not only has he spotted that his salvo of uh, missiles has, has gone so gideon's watching this you know, he's he's laid this on for Mando and for the team. Um, so n- not only for that to take place, but also for it to it to really kind of turn into this Terminator Kyle Reese thing, but also this like um, what happens when an unstoppable force comes up against Beska and just gets his head punched into the wall, and you're like, all right, that's how strong this stuff really is. There was just so much going on with it that was really exceptionally well done. Um, again, I, I just keep saying that because it was well designed, it was well thought out. The impending doom that these dart, trop- dart tro- troopers brought with them, you know, even later on when they're banging on the door, you're just like, holy shit, these are Terminators. And there's nothing scarier as a kid of our age than seeing a pile of Terminators coming at you. Like, Filoni and Favreau know how old the people are watching this. Like, they know for a fact that when you first see the T-800 being relentless, you, it's terrifying. And they just, they channeled all of that in. And th- then what I thought was interesting was Gideon later, or was it Gideon or someone else mentioned it, about the progression of the Dark Troopers. Oh, it was Pershing, I think. Because what we thought was, wait a minute, they want Grogu's blood to make these Dark Troopers and give them a little bit of force sensitivity. And he was like, no, no, the humans were the weak part. These are all droid, dude. And you're like, holy crap. So they've addressed the EU stuff. They've kind of addressed that history. They've clarified everything for us. And yet they've created another mystery because Gideon later says, I got his blood. That's all I needed. Now what? And you think, oh, well, wait a sec. It's not anymore for the Dark Troopers. What the hell is going on? And this is still unresolved. We've got no idea. Um... So again, multi-layered with that dude, and I, it was—I was so proud of Mando as well. I was when he when he got him out of the airlock. I'm like, "Boom, well done, son!" And then Sam went like Sam clocked a lot of this episode. Um, she was like, "Yeah, but they can just fly, can't they? They can just boost themselves." So I'm like, "Damn, yeah, they can, <laughs> they can." But I, I loved that man. I thought the design of him was, like you said, clunky on purpose. I think it was intended to. I, I, I'd be very surprised if they didn't 
have the conversation of make these look like T800s. You know, I mean, you would do. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I'm glad that you've, because I've got that in my notes as well, that it was very uh, Terminatory, very Skynet um, sort of design. But also, it's interesting you mentioned Battlestar Galactica because uh, a lot of, um, well, I think most of all the concept art for the Cylons was done by Ralph McQuarrie for Battlestar originally, as you know. So it was really cool that you've got that little bit of it was like it was almost and that's sometimes what makes the best science fiction you know is when you just pilfer from other little tiny little bits from other good science fiction so you don't you don't obviously rip it off but you just like nick little tiny bits and and that's just what makes good sci-fi sometimes but yeah these uh these dark troopers man they were great but we knew they were coming back though because they're not human they don't you know they can survive out in space completely fine and i know that star wars is a little bit loose with the whole science aspect of things sometimes princess layer out in space sure they're a little bit loose with that sometimes so they could have been human to a degree i guess but like you said the whole eu canons kind of thing uh you know they've addressed that so but it was such a badass scrap and uh there was one there was one bit as well where i was like like he's he's gonna get his ass whooped big like his helmet's coming off now there's a bit where the, the dark troopers got him up against the wall and he just smashing him in the face like boom 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 it was like it was like Balboa on the ropes you know Drago's just smashing away and he's like yeah he's going down man he's going down but he took it as well he was just like (laughs) and then to show down with Gideon later you're like this guy's just took a beating um and he's and he's still going on and he's still taking it like I think it shows like the depth of his training which I thought was fascinating like when he when he turned up with Gideon which we'll get to in a sec and he, th- he faced down like he was up against a dark saber with no Beskar staff, staff for a little while. He didn't think to pull it out, um, but he was taking the dark saber like with just he was like Wonder Woman in his way through with the gauntlets and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that scene where he walks in on Gideon, you know that 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 Giancarlo Esposito is just he's positioning himself recently as like one of the best genre actors out there. Like he was dripping menace and he was oozing just this you mother and just the way that he designed everything out like his plan like if you shoot me I, the dark saber will drop on this kid's head and you're just like fuck that is dirty <laughs> yeah like yeah. that is dirt man yeah defo and he had this real yeah like his performance was amazing and the way he was written as well he had this real sort of sinister quiet confidence about his plan he even says it's amando he's like, like from this point on just assume that i know everything and then and that immediately just throws a, a like shade over everything that they've planned out because then you think oh crap what's going to happen to the other guys on the on the bridge they're just waiting for nothing like you said he's got the dark saber hovering over grogu's head like he's that's it he's done but then yeah in true sort of Bond villain style, he's like, yeah, yeah, I can see the Bond. Mm-hmm. I've got what I wanted, like you said, with the blood, you know, take him. And then, bosh, when his back's turned, they had that cool scrap and dude. Uh, we had it early on, didn't we? The the, I don't know if it was told to us as the viewer previously to this, but right at the beginning, Bo-Katan says about the Darksaber and the only thing that it can't cut through is, is, is Beskar. Mm-hmm. So when we get to that scene where he does throw down with Gideon, they did that really well. It, they didn't just have Beskar as like this, uh, like 
um, sort of otherworldly thing because that they leave that to the dark saber that that stuff. But the Beskar when they're like up against each other and he's got the staff and the dark saber, it doesn't cut through it. But you got that it sort of heats up, doesn't it? Like steel does, mm-hmm. like when they're making swords and stuff. So it heats up and you got a thing like right. They've said that Beskar is impenetrable from the dark saber, but is that only to a point? Is it going to like cut through the staff and he's going to cut through his armor? But dude. Mando had his Weetabix that day. After he was going, on it, wasn't he? After going through that scrap with the with the Dark Trooper and then have to face off. I mean, Gideon, he's got some chops, though. I'll, I'll give that to him. He has got a bit of... He can handle himself. Oh, yeah. And, and I think if you if you compare that... Because I was thinking while it was going down, I was like, if this was a Jedi, he'd be screwed. Like, if this was Bo-Katan or, even, or someone that had got any level of Jedi-based or even, you know, lightsaber training, not just someone that was good at fencing or had some swordsmanship, which Gideon obviously did, I was like, yeah, Mando would be dead. Like, it would take approximately one second for someone that knew how to wield this thing. But he, like you said, he had the chops. He was just a swordsman. He wasn't it wasn't a Jedi or a, a dark side user. Um <clears throat> But it was, it was again, it was really well done. You could see the admiration in, in Gideon's face when he lost. That's what I quite like about this character. He's just like, look, I can see the bond you've formed. I kind of understand why you're doing it, why you're doing what you're doing. I've got what I need in the blood, which, again, raises a massive plot point for later. Um, and he just he just had this respect for Mando, I think, when he'd, when he'd beaten him. Um, and then to go through that process of being dragged into the bridge... And even still, on his knees, on the floor, <clears throat> covering up the gun, which didn't do anything in the end. You know, the gunner was just like him saying, all right, I'm, st- you know, I'm still in this. Um, to just then start to pit Bo-Katan against Mando, which I know we see, I, I was a little bit sort of like, oh, actually, have we seen it in any other media where the Darksaber's been granted to someone? I can't remember. I, I think we might have, but I might be totally wrong with that. Like, did Pre Vizsla lose it? Did... Bo-Katan win it? Did Sabine win it? I can't remember wholly, but in, my, in the back of my head, I've got it in my head that maybe it's been given and granted before. I don't know. I might be wrong. Um, but again, he was trying to set them apart. He was just like, you guys have to fight now. And it can't be a grant. It can't be a given. You know, so he's a bit like Thrawn in that he knows the Mandalorian background. He knows the creed. He knows the credibility. He knows what's got to happen now. But again, None of that was addressed. It's like, we'll get to this next time. Um, which I thought was fascinating because there's so many of these little plot points that are un- untouched. Um, where, you know, like, you've got Grog- you know, Grogu's blood. What the hell's going to happen with that? Bo-Katan wants the Darksaber still, and then Mando's got it. What the hell's going to happen there? So there's all these little threads that are still open. Um, and it was fascinating to see how chuffed to bits he was when he was like oh yeah the dark saber uh, the dark troopers can fly you are all screwed look at the fight you had with one of them this is going to be a mess it will only be me and the kid that survives this and then they they deliver this impending doom this doom 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 and you just you knew something was coming you knew someone was coming to bail them out completely knew yeah. And like I know we'll get to it in a sec, but just to finish off on the Moff Gideon bit, when that person turned up, it was the first time on his face that you saw any level of fear. Because he, like, he knew what was going down. He knew that that was the end of it um, before they even did. And like the way that Giancarlo Esposito plays it, you're just like, you sassy mofo. 
And then when he, when you just clocked a little bit of fear, you're just like, that is, that's sort of like back to the emperor, sort of back to Vader, sort of back to that, I am the omnipresent power here until something else turns up that I recognize as being terrifying to me. And just the way he laid it on, I thought was really well done. He was such a good, such a good actor to choose for this. Um, and it's interesting because he kind of petered out towards the end. It all became about, you know, who turned up. But it he was kind of, he kind of just dropped off. He was like, oh, I've done my bit. But he's such a big character that that can't, I don't see that being the end of him. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see what comes with that one. I think it's probably going to play into a bigger story. Again, we'll get to this later, like a wider story encompassing bigger characters later on. I think Gideon will probably be a part of it. Um, but just, he was just superb, man. His entire run there was brilliant. Yeah, he was. And it's a, it's almost a shame that we didn't get to see more of him throughout the rest of the series because he's such a great character, such a, a really good baddie, you know, just a, a good old-fashioned uh, baddie from... Uh, from the old days of Star Wars, and uh, and like you've mentioned before, they've kind of, kind of um, dressed him up to look a bit like Vader from the neck down, you know. So he has got that classic old uh, Star Wars baddie feel about him. But uh, just very quickly, dude, the the dark saber it was handed over to Bo Katan from Sabine in Rebels, if you remember. So there was that that's it. that one scene. For, I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. Anyway, Sabine was like your you're the rightful person to lead the Mandalorians against the Empire. It should be you. Like, I've, I've got no interest anymore. So there wasn't a big showdown for that. So it's interesting that they're following that line of law around Mandalorian and Darksaber. Like, you have to beat him to get it. Because he doesn't... Like, he's he's been honest throughout the whole thing. He's like, I don't give a flying brick. Like, here's your Darksaber. Here's all your Dark Troopers. Here's everything. I don't want it. You know, I'm just happy I've got the kids. So... Yeah, like you said, man, we'll see where this all goes. But I'm assuming or hoping that it's going to be a Mando season three thing where obviously the child is no longer going to be the the mechanism to get Mando around the galaxy and do stuff. It's now going to be, um, hopefully, um, a more pure Mandalorian thing. Like, how is this going to play out with Bo-Katan and mm-hmm. where does Gideon fit in and stuff? So, uh, right, let's speak about the, the, the ending then, I guess. Um, because this was something that blew everybody's minds. And when they saw the X-Wing turn up on the old CCTV camera, which doesn't, there doesn't seem to be many on Imperial ships, which is kind of weird, but they see the Imperial, uh, sorry, the X-Wing turn up. I'll be honest with you, I thought it was going to be old Tubby Lad that's popped oh, up no. before. Did I, you really? Yeah, because it was Cara Dune actually says it. She's like, one X-Wing, are you kidding me? So I thought, oh, it's that dude. That we've seen, you know, the marshal, like the the arrogant cop, X-wing pilot from the New Republic. I thought, oh, he's turned up. He's going to get his ass whooped. Uh, but no, it was uh, it was old young Luke, young Luke Skywalker, dude. I mean, this is just we we said this, didn't we, about four or five episodes ago? Uh, no, sorry, uh, about three episodes ago when they put the the child on the Grogu on the seeing stone. We were like, so who is going to turn up? Is Ahsoka going to come back? We don't think so. She didn't really show too much interest in it. Is it Luke? I don't know. Is it going to be Cal Kestis from, from Fallen Order? We don't know. So the when we saw the whole badass thing where it's almost like uh, like a mirror image of when Vader just cuts all the rebels down at the end of Rogue One. Almost the same thing, like force choking those dark troopers, cutting them down with a lightsaber and stuff, and then the reveal at the end with his hood. 
dude, I was like sat forward on the, like on the front of my sofa. I was like, oh my God, it's like, who is it going to be? But then I think the moment I clocked it was Luke. Cause when we saw the black leather glove mm-hmm. and the green lightsaber, I was like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's Luke. But did this blow your mind? Like every other person in fandom. I was the second a solo X-Wing came in and she went, what's one X-Wing going to do? You know, when she implied that instantly in my head, I, for a split second, I did the same as you. I was like, that's that cop. And then I went, wait a sec, who's driving around the galaxy in a solo X-Wing? There's only one person that I can think of. And then it came out with a hood. I was like, all right, maybe a dark side person. No, can't be. He's got an X-Wing. Um, be too much explanation around why that's the case. And just from that moment on, I was just absolutely wetting myself. I was like, no fucking way. Are you kidding me? No, like just complete disbelief that they'd even gone there and they could do that. Um, Sam was like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And then he fired up the green lightsaber. I'm like, who do you think it is? (laughs) She was like, no chance. It can't be. And it was. And I was, dude, this blew my mind. And on reflection later, I've got some more thoughts on it. And some deeper thoughts. But in the moment, I was like, this is everything that every Star Wars fan on the planet has dreamed of since Return of the Jedi. Like, the fact that they've been able to do it, and the fact that it was Mark Hamill, and the fact that they'd done the CGI, which granted was took you out of the scene a little bit with the CGI, but the fact that they just pulled it off, and that we saw him squeeze the power out of a frigging dark saber uh, dark trooper just with the force i was like this is this is feloni taking that line i'm my father's son and mirroring what we saw in rogue one just like he did with ahsoka like the two people are most connected at this point outside of leia to anakin feloni has given them everything that we all wanted um and th- it's like we said before, like with JJ, this is how you do fan service. Like, you, you give them the fan service and do, do everything. Just seeing Luke Skywalker be an actual freaking badass Jedi for once was just like, it was just breathing fresh air, man. It was so good. Um, and then for me, like the way they laid it on, it was a little funny because it, it kind of took me out of the moment a little bit seeing the CGI. That was a little bit weird, but I was like, of course, why would they not do that? They've got, this can't, that couldn't have been anyone else's face outside of Mark Hamill. Um, you know, and I don't think we're going to see much more of Luke over the future. I think we might see another once, maybe twice. But then as I start to think about it, I was like, well, of course, like, what? how could it have been anyone else? How could it have been anyone else? You know, this is a person that is five years into his quest to discover every other Force user out there, to, to lap up everything about the Force and the Jedi, who's just about to rebuild the Jedi Order in, what, probably a year's time from this point. How could it have been anyone else? Um, and then it just opens up so many questions, like, just, so there's now Ahsoka's around, and Luke's around, and Leia's around, the two people, the three people that were closest to Anakin have been brought into one TV show. And you just think, fuck me, like that is insane to imagine that <laughs> happening. And then when R2 wheeled out, I was like, are you shitting me? Of course he's there. Why would he not be there? Um, there's a lot more to it than that, but that was my initial fanboy reaction. Just totally blown away by it. And just, just total fanboying over it. Absolutely. There is more to it than that, but fanboy central, dude. 
Yeah, defo. I think it's the first time in a long old time that I've I've teared up at Star Wars. Big time. Like I cannot remember the last time I teared up. It's weirdly, I think it was the um this is gonna sound really weird. I think it was the Lego Skywalker Saga video game trailer. I think that was more to, down to John Williams' music than anything else. But, uh, dude, it was like there was three things that just had me. Like Filoni and Favreau, they were like, right, how do we how do we grab people's heartstrings and give them a big old tug? Not once, not twice, but three freaking times. So the first one was when he takes his hood down and it's Luke. And everybody, I can just imagine throughout the, over the entire world, every Star Wars fan's jaw was just bang on the floor. It was like, oh my God. And like you said, the CGI was a little bit, um, because they kind of did the same thing with Leia, didn't they? At the end of Rogue One, it was like, it's clearly, clearly Carrie Fisher, but like they haven't quite nailed the, the movement of a human face yet properly and stuff like that. And it's, I think they've moved it on a little bit since then. It did look a little bit better than what they did with that. But even so, I think everyone was just swept away with like, holy shit, it's Luke Skywalker. Being, like you said, being absolutely badass Jedi, which we, I just think Star Wars needs that from Luke. After what they did with him in the sequel trilogy, I just think it was needed outside of a video game. So, And then the R2 came out and it was like, oh, what are you doing? Like, you're going to make me cry more than what I am already doing. And then that, scene where Grogu like Mando takes his helmet off and that little embrace where he's oh man crazy I'm with you dude he's off he's off um to that point as well like Pedro Pascal really really nailed that scene like the whole taking your kid away and but you know it's for the betterment of 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 the kid's life and what I love about this is that it was the real finish to the character arc that you saw all the way through Mando season two, where he's developed as a character from being this very traditional creed driven Mandalorian to someone that understands that to be a true Mandalorian is not just keeping your helmet on. And he's developed that a little bit further and to take his kid off, uh, sorry, to take his helmet off for something that has essentially become his son. And for the first person that touches his face to be Grogu, and then the way that he was like, look, you need to go with this guy. Like, and what I loved about it as well was that, so this guy's took down two Death Stars. He's beaten, he's beaten Vader. He's beaten Palpatine. His sister is pretty much like up there in the New Republic. She's a princess of Alderaan. And he's like, who are you? And that's what I love about how they've played it. They didn't do via Din Djarin what we would have done seeing Luke Skywalker, he was just like, are you a Jedi? And I loved that. And then, I mean, I don't think Grogu's story's done because, you know, there's a little bit more to that again we'll get onto, but I don't think Gideon's story's done. I don't think Bo-Katan's story's done. I don't think the Mandalorian story's done. I don't think their collective story together is. I don't think it's the last time we'll see Grogu with the Mandalorian. Um, But the way that he delivered that, you've got to go, and the, he kind of held his, he held it all together right until the, the elevator door closed. And then his face was just, just a picture of just emotional wreck. Um, and Pedro Pascal is a guy that acts behind a mask 99% of the time. And he still manages to nail it. And 
that scene, I think, just really pulled it all together where it was... Because it, it was a little bit... This is what I was talking about earlier with the JJ problem. The second Luke showed up, it became about Luke. And then R2 showed up. I'm like, are you fucking... This is brilliant. This is fantastic stuff. But it kind of then weakened the rest of the characters. Um, because it became about this just this massive character in Luke Skywalker. But I think Pedro Pascal managed to keep it about the Mandalorian. The way that he delivered that, the way it was written, the touching. Um, so it was it was very well balanced. Um, and I've seen a few people online saying, oh, they've finally the Mandalorian succumbed to the pressure of the Skywalker saga and we wish they'd not done it. Like, you know, people, I can't remember who wrote it, but there's a couple of articles out there. And I, I sort of get that, but... At the same time, I think if Luke is used so sparingly that it's just, you know, it's a now and again, or here's why I can't train the kid, or here's why I think that he's ready to go out into the world, or you know, Grogu has to leave Luke Skywalker at some point, otherwise Kylo Ren's going to cut his frigging head off. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got 30 years and then he's going to get his ass kicked at the Jedi Temple, so at some point he has to leave. Um whether I don't know how that's going to play out, but I think using Luke sparingly is a very, very wise choice. But it brings up so many other questions. Like, are we going to see more of Luke? Does Ahsoka know that Luke's there? There's so much of this, because they must sense each other. They've got to do. Um, anyway, that's that's. I just we could talk about this all day. Yeah, no, I read you, man, to a degree. And um, I would say that Pascal's performance is what is has been so pivotal throughout the Mando. But also that last scene was so important that he was on his game because back when they were doing Empire, it really is Mark Hamill's performance that makes that whole film, all of those scenes with Yoda, because essentially Yoda's a puppet. And even though we know he's a puppet, he could have just, you know, if if Mark Hamill wasn't, didn't do that as well as he did, it would have been just that it's a guy just acting with a puppet with about Sesame street, you know, whatever it was, Fraggle rock. So it's a very similar situation with Pascal. He absolutely sells that with the, with the Hulk. It's, it's, a, it's no different than it was in empire. We know that Grogu is a puppet, which is great. Um, but yeah, so Pascal's performance at the end when he tears up and when the door shut, that's what sells it for me, even though it was very cute with Grogu touching his face and stuff. It was Pascal's face. He didn't have to say anything, did he? He was just his absolute just despair that is, you know, probably a little bit of like, well, this is great. You know, I've spent weeks up and down the galaxy and now I've done it and now he's going to be taken away. So brilliant. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, dude, have you ever heard of a TV program called The News? You might have heard of, you know, a guy called Luke, like you said, blowing up various things and saving the galaxy. You might want to read a paper now on him but yeah so many questions dude I th- I, we haven't got time to go through all of that stuff we could talk for another couple of hours about all that stuff but just very quickly then i think we got a sly little announcement for another disney plus thing coming up uh, next year which we got that really cool closed uh, sorry, end of credit scene where they go back to jabba's palace back on tatooine but now it's being run by bib fortuna and he's put on a little bit of weight a bit like jabber he's got comfy on the on the chair uh, they cut everyone down. Boba takes his spot, and boom! It looks like now he's he's uh, going to be the new, the new uh, ruler of the underworld of Tatooine. By the look of it, does that look pretty sweet or no? Yeah, well, it's interesting this one, and just just to kind of I've 
uh, one more small thing on the, the finishing up of the Skywalker thing. Um, a thought that just popped into my head. A lot of people saying, well, actually, you know, it got overshadowed um, by Luke Turner. But actually, that was his quest. That was his point. That was the point, was to give Grogu over to someone like that. Um, so that that was, it's like the end of that chapter. Um, and the reason that I'm saying that is because it, it does directly link into your question, which is actually, does it feel like this is a good idea? Um with with Boba and I think I'm not sure it's a spin-off so Mike Morrison a mate of mine runs membership guys big Star Wars fan um, we were talking about it on Twitter and he was like I don't think this is another series I think this is more now like an antho- anthology style because we've talked about it before The Mandalorian is written in chapters is this the end of the book of Din Djarin number one and are we going to see the next season be the book of Boba Fett and He's called the next season four and five or whatever. He's gonna. He says, I'm, I'm calling that we're going to see the Book of Bo-Katan. And I was like, actually, yeah, the way it's been structured, because this is the end of a story, really. He's, he's done his, his... His quest is complete. He's given Grogu over to a Jedi, which was the point. There's a lot of lingering questions, hell of a lot of lingering questions. We know Ahsoka's coming along. We know Rangers of the Republic are coming along. These two series that are supposed to tie into the Mandalorian and work in the same universe... So to the question, I loved it, man. I thought I was like, no way is that Jabba's Palace. No way is that Bib Fortuna. He's shot. Um, I love the groveling. I love the whole, oh, you know, good to see you, Bob. <laughs> like, yeah, get out, you twat. Um, <laughs> and I, I really liked that. Um, and I liked that Bobba's kind of, you know, he's, he's going to kind of push into the un- underworld because that stuff with Darth Maul really interested me. Like what happened during the solo years with Maul and Crimson Dawn and, and, and everything that went with that. Um, so I think it's a, a nice thing. And I do, I think Mike might be right in that because it's structured in chapters and they've named it very specifically, the book of Boba Fett, it leads me to think, well, actually, does this give them scope to kind of change storylines mid-season? Can they say six episodes in, the book of Boba Fett is finished? Um, is it going to tie into the Mandalorian? Uh, Din Djarin's story into the Book of Din. Um, are you going to see Bo-Katan in that? Because there's so much unanswered stuff. So yes, I think it's a good idea. I'd be a little gutted if we didn't see the Mandalorian Din Djarin a lot more. Uh, you know, I, I kind of don't want it to pivot to being an anthology. Um, and I don't think they'd undersell the Mandalorian on that basis. I think everyone, I think it would lose its edge if that was the case. But I do think that maybe we are going to see this approach like that so it's not maybe it's not a different series i think that feels a stronger move to be honest yeah that's a good point actually yeah Uh, i would be surprised if we didn't have mando season three i think they've done they've done too much with the character and they've they've established him way too way too much and you know yeah i just feel like that's to just close it off at this point would be a bit like so what's happened to the mando then and well, maybe, maybe it's like a setup to bring him back at a later date, have him like have this badass re-entrance into someone else's series or come back on his own. But yeah, I just feel like they've, they've plowed so much work into the character just for him to just not come back now and have these other people have series. I don't know. seems like a, I don't know, but this is Disney after all mm-hmm. and Lucasfilm. So who knows, buddy, but it was very cool though. It was very cool. And just that closing shot as well, where you saw, um, just take his what seems like his rightful place now he's come back from the dead to everybody it must seem like uh, take his rightful place uh, uh, on his chair at the end 
and then also have uh what's her name uh fennec is it uh just you know just a bit bolshy as well sat there she's about to get wasted yeah it feels like some good times if that is a, a thing but so there we go dude that's uh that is the the wrap up to season two what would you give this out of 10 it's going to have to be close to a 10, dude. I can't see anything wrong with it. The only potential thing that I can see wrong with it is Luke coming in and overshadowing Mando, but the the the, the non-Star Wars fan in me gives it a 9.5 because of that. The Star Wars fanboy gives it a 10 because of that. <laughs> yeah, I read you. No, I'm on exactly the same boat as you did, like a 9.5 for me. Uh, it would have been a... Well, do you remember when we very first started talking about the Mando, even before season one landed? And we were saying, how are they going to do this with an unestablished character? Are they going to rely on those big names from elsewhere in Star Wars? Or are they just going to... So I think over two seasons, only having arguably two people come back of that calibre, Ahsoka and Luke, I think that's not bad going. So nine and a half, I reckon. Good shout, dude. Good shout. Overall, a good season. We should do a bit of a... uh, Moving into next year, we should maybe make the the first episode a bit of a retrospective look at the entire season as a whole. Maybe get some people on. Have a chinwag about it. Yeah, sounds good. Bit of a roundtable. Discuss some of these open questions as well that have been left sort of hanging. So, yeah, dude. uh, Let's wrap there for our our last show of 2020. It has been awesome, as always, dude, talking through. And I've really loved going through the Mando as well, each episode. I know we've had the odd bit of news, but it's been fantastic talking to you about it as we've watched it, as with you guys. So that's all good. Um, Just to close out, like we said, a massive thank you to everybody that's listened throughout the year. Thank you to our patrons. Your support is very much appreciated. And if you like um, listening to our show and you want to subscribe, do that on whatever podcast app get your podcast on just do a search for spark of rebellion or head over to the website sparkofrebellion.com. and if you want to support us you can do that over patreon which is patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion lots of spark of rebellions we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook just do a search you'll find us on there uh, we chat style throughout the week we've got a nice little community building around there so come and get involved uh, dude it's been great happy 2020 happy star wars happy luke skywalker happy all of the above yeah thank you dude it's been a good year for this uh thanks for being a superb co-host as ever and we'll see everyone back in 2021 happy holidays to everyone enjoy yourselves indeed yes so uh, have a, a wonderful christmas uh, let us know on the socials next year if you've got any cool star wars goodies for christmas and uh, want to see those so have a wonderful christmas uh, happy new year take care of yourselves stay healthy and safe and may the force be with you always <laughs>